Hello and welcome to Right Hearted with me, Stuart Wakefield. Something different for today's episode, and that different thing is a book review. And the reason I'm doing this book review is that it is the meat and bones for what I do as a book coach. So what is this book? Uh, this book is Blueprint for a Book by Jenny Nash. And I will be honest with you, I was not very happy when I heard that this book was being published because it is, as I mentioned, the meat and bones for what I do as, as a book coach. For me, Blueprint for a Book is one of the most powerful tools that I've certainly been trained in, and I've been trained in a number of tools over the years. So I was worried that this was basically... Um, going to undermine all the, I'll be honest, uh, power that we had um, as, as, as a book coach uh, because I felt that the secret was being let out into the world. And if I'm honest, it would undermine the work that I do as a coach myself. However, on reflection, I realized that actually this is a good thing. There are many writers, myself included, who have uh, bought all the books, uh, tried to get their minds around all the, the ways that we can develop stories or fix stories. And I realized myself, I had been reading a wonderful book called The Art and Craft of Fiction by Victoria Mixon. And I read it and I understood it. Yet I still went to Victoria to do the editing work on my second novel. And it was a huge success. Um, and even though I understood her, her model very well, I still felt like I needed an expert to run me through it. So once I came to that realization, I thought it would be the perfect opportunity to talk to you about this tool um, because it is particularly powerful. Um, I use it with my coaching clients. I use it uh, when they are developing their initial stories, but also I get them to run through it if they think their manuscript needs to basically go back to basics. So if there's fundamental that the author is uh, trying to say or in terms with structure, um, I will always take them back to this, this blueprint for a book. So in order to review the book, I really need to talk through the, the model with you. And that's what I'm going to do in this session. So the book starts with storytelling fundamentals, and there are a few elements to this. The first one is why write this book? Um, so obviously we're telling a story, but we must understand why we are telling that story. What's the belief burning within us that our story feeds off? And stories haunt us. Uh, they keep us up at night. They nag, they nag at us when we're reading other people's stories. Um, they are the reason that we don't listen to our other half when we are cooking dinner. Uh, our minds wander. And that haunting story is the one that really needs to make us uh, think why we want to write that particular story. Why would you spend a year, four years of your life um, obsessing over the story? What is that core belief that's driving you to do it? And if you don't think too much about this. It feels like a very um, an easy answer sometimes, but you know, I will always encourage my authors to go deep and to keep asking why, to keep digging down into all of those reasons, because often there's actually something else lurking under under the surface of what it is, um, and you know, we want readers to buy what 
what we have because we feel we have something important to stay. So yes, the, the first stage is really understanding why we have to write a book. So then we talk about what's the point of the book. And a lot of people say, well, I've just, I've just told you why. And to a degree, the point is wrapped up in that. So it's very important to go and have a look at the why and then understand the what. And often, you know, those are cliches. So for example, um, if you're writing a romance, uh, you know, love, love conquers all. Um, but if you're looking at something like Gone Girl, the point of that could be uh, it shows that love is not always what it seems to be. Or the Hunger Games series proves that love always triumphs over evil. So again, you probably don't need to do quite as much digging here, but um, definitely understanding about what the point is um, of the story that you are that you are writing. So then we come to watch the plot and I have two stories about this. Um, so when I was still in full-time work, I was standing in the canteen with a friend and I mentioned I was writing a book and they said, what's it about? And I stood there and I thought, and I realized I didn't have um, kind of one or two sentences that really described what my story was about and what's the plot's step in the blueprint for a book really takes you back into saying very succinctly what your story is about in one or two sentences. And another example is when I was doing my master's degree, uh, my very final dissertation, I was writing a screenplay and I was assigned a script editor from the BBC. And he asked me to write my story in five sentences. Uh, which was a huge challenge, um, but it really helped me cut to the core of what my story was about. Then he got me to write the story in five paragraphs and then five pages, and then I did my scene-by-scene -scene breakdown. So I think it's very important to really kind of nail that book idea before you start to write. Um, so this is what this, this part of the book's really getting you to do, thinking at a very high level about what it is um, that your book is about, and really think about it as the, the um, elevator pitch, I guess. So here the blueprint really encourages you to write your story um, or a 50 word sentence about your book. Um, but you know, obviously it can be sort of two or three sentences, but trying to keep it as close to about 50 words can really let you hone in about what it is that you're trying to, um, do in the book that communicates the points that you're trying to make. Then we get into the book jacket copy. Now, many people think of this as what they call the blurb, uh, but this is where you really um, kind of expand the story into a few paragraphs. So if you think about the example I gave as my uh, my screenplay dissertation, um, again, this is kind of expanding it out with a slight um, variation though. So this exercise is really that, you know, you're imagining, imagining that your book is finished. Okay, so uh, what you really want in this book jacket copy is the kind of thing that a reader would see if they pulled your book off the shelf. So you're looking for a snappy language, you're looking for a clear sense of what the reader is going to get in the pages, and a bit about why you're the right person to give it to them. Um, so again, uh, you know, the things that are, are out of this is anything vague, anything long or drawn out, um, 
full boring biographies of the author um, and particularly kind of a hit parade of every little plot point or detail. So as soon as you've done those, those first four steps, I always ask the author to kind of set these to, to the side, write them on post-it notes, something like that. Um, the reason being is, you know, you are committing to, you know, probably a, at least a year's work. And there will be times, and I have them too, when you think, why am I doing this? This is an absolute nightmare. What was I thinking? And I will always encourage an author to go back to those four steps and look at them because those are the things that take you back to why you're writing this book in the first place. Um, and it's very energizing and it's like giving yourself a, a, a bit of a pep talk. Um, so it's your past self reminding your current self why you're doing this in the first place. And then there's one of my favorites, which is choosing a working title, because the title really defines the concept for your book. And also you need to think where it might be starting to think about where it um, sits on a shelf with other books in the same genre. So um, there's a few exercises in this part of the book. So, um, you know, many of the best book titles can be um, defined in, in, in a particular way. So you've got your one word book titles like Jaws or Sea Biscuit. You've got your kind of six words, uh, shortest short story kind of concept. Um, so the oldest confederate widow tells all or the other side of the mountain there are titles that include a number like catch 22 fahrenheit 451 titles with imagery kind of metaphor and symbols like swim with the sharks or who moved my cheese and then there's the filling in the blank exercise so it's it's the word the uh, then an adjective then a noun so the da vinci code uh the book thief the dark knight and then finally, uh, book titles that are more like lists. And I think probably the most famous one is Eat, Pray, Love. So, uh, you know, a great title can get a reader to pick up the book um, just, on its, just on its own. So if you think about the book Skinny Bitch, I mean, that sold over 3 million copies. And I think it's fair to say that if most um, readers saw a title like that, they would be curious and they would be... Um, wondering what that, that book was about. So that's kind of your setting out your stall really, um, as, as well as your book cover. Um, that's what people are likely going to see first. Then we have to hone that title. We have to really understand, uh, you know, make a list of about 15, look at the list and see if you can expand or improve of any of those titles. And this is where it's a really good idea to start looking at the books that are in your genre. So whether you go to Amazon or go to Goodreads, um, start doing your homework because you need to make sure that the title of your book uh, matches your book jacket copy um, that we've done in a previous exercise. Then it's about getting out there and asking people to vote on your title list and see what jumps out of you. Um, and then don't tell them anything about the book uh, before they do that, because um, you'll see which titles kind of stand on their own. I recently did a this blueprint uh, with a, a colleague and she wrote 15 titles and her 15th title was Tears of a Writer Who Can't Name Books. Um, so, you know, it can be quite a difficult um, thing to do. I mean, personally, I start with a book title and I don't think I've ever changed one over the course, but it doesn't have to be fixed. Um, so kind of relax into it, have some fun with it. 
And as I say, you probably will, uh, during this exercise, get a title that stands on its own. So one of my favorite conversations is about genre. And I see many, many writers really struggle with understanding what the genre is of the, of the book that they're writing. Um, sometimes, you know, a novel about four female friends, I mean, that could be literary fiction, it could be women's fiction, uh, it could be upmarket fiction. Um, it could even be literary fiction, really depending on how it's written. Um, I have been working with an author who has written a dystopian uh, novel, and that's how they described it. But if you really look at the center of gravity of that, of the storyline, or the most prominent storyline, um, it is more to do with kind of a, a maturation story and that person really understanding who they are. Um, I've also worked with authors who are writing uh, paranormal fantasy, but it's very clear that their story is actually a romance in a paranormal fantasy setting. And one of the explanations I, I use with, with authors is the movie Alien. Some people think it's science fiction. Some people think it's horror. I personally think it's a horror film in a science fiction setting. So again, identifying genre is very important and it will feed back into the title and probably the book cover, well actually definitely the book cover that you're going to be looking at. So again, the blueprint for a book takes you through that and really helps you understand the decisions that you're going to be making. So by now, you might be getting to the point where you're reading the blueprint for a book book and you're thinking, oh, I'm doing all this work and it seems really salesy and I don't really understand why. But the thing is, you are um, now thinking about uh, who your book is for. And, you know, if you are writing your book for yourself, that that's fine. Um you know, you don't have to judge yourself. You don't have to beat yourself up. And if you are, please don't do that. But uh, the next step in the blueprint for a book is really understanding who your ideal reader is. Because as much as you want to deny this, as soon as this book goes on to sale, um, it becomes not the property of the reader, but that's when you really have to think about who you're writing for. So we've looked at why you're writing it and what the point is. And then you need to understand who is it that is really going to receive um, that story? Who's going to be interested in the point that you're trying to make? So again, if you've got anything to do with marketing, uh, you know, marketing people will make um, stories up about, about their customers. And then here in this part of the book, uh, we're really looking at, you know, thinking about, okay, how old is my reader? Where do they live? What kind of person are they? What keeps them up at night? Um, you know, even if they want escapism, what is it about your book um, that will help the reader get that? Um, even if you're writing a nonfiction book, um, what is it about your book that will solve a problem for the reader? So as part of that, um, we also want to have a look at what kind of books does your ideal reader love? So we've talked about titles, we've talked about genres, we haven't got into book covers yet. But again, um, if a reader is going to decide whether or not they want to read your book, you need to have a view of what other books are they reading and loving. And a very important element of this is when you go forward to pitch to an agent, um, or a publisher, assuming you want to go through the traditionally published route, um, you need to give 
an agent or a publisher an idea of where your book sits with books like it, just so they can get a view before they start reading it um, or asking for a full copy or further chapters. Um, you need to understand what other books your reader is reading and loving. And part of that is trying to understand, okay, what, what might, what book might be their favorite? Uh, why do they love it? And what is it that your book adds to the conversation? Um, again, and even thinking about, okay, what would your reader say if they were recommending it to a friend? Um, so definitely have a, have a think about that. And the book sort of guides you through that. Then the book moves you into world building. So, you know, if you're writing fantasy, science fiction, uh, historical fiction, uh, you really need to understand um, the world that your story is being told in. But I will give you a warning now. Okay, so uh, Chuck Wendig, um, a quote from him. So he says, you know, you build a world to serve the story or stories you want to tell. You do not tell a story that is slave to the world building. Story always comes first and world building supports the story. And I, I can't agree with this more. You know, I've, I've seen people building stories, um, you know, for years and years. Um, even last week, I worked with um, an author who had done so much world building that they were actually finding it difficult to uh, write some of the plot and the character motivations because they felt they had to explain so much of the world building uh, for any of it to make sense. And actually, as we went through the process and we had our, our coaching call, we realized at the end that that was exactly the problem. And by pushing all the world building aside, we were able to get to the very heart of the story and understand it wasn't a dystopian story. It was a story about the character's maturation. So the book then guides you on to defining the fundamental realities of the world that you're building. And I think these are relatively straightforward um, questions, but it's quite a com comprehensive list. I'm not going to go through it all, um, but it is thinking about kind of temporal realities. So, you know, is it set in the future or the past? Um, also things like, are people happy, content in the world? Um, is there oxygen? How does gravity work? Um, and obviously not all of these will, will pertain to the, the story that you're writing. Uh, but again, things like social realities. Is there a dominant religion? How do people communicate? Um, but it takes you further than that. And I think these are kind of the basics of, um, you know, world building. Um, but again, the, the world can help contribute to the unique conflict that your characters are going through. Um, again, it will you know, contain the seeds of your story's conflict, um, as well as you know, just setting the rules. So um, if you have a magic system, again, this is where you can start really thinking about that. But again, just temper yourself and just make sure that the world building really helps you tell the story. So by now you might be thinking, oh, Stuart, you're just talking through the model you use. You're not really talking through this book. Well, actually, this book is set out exactly the way this, this, uh, the model works in all of the steps that this model takes. So say I'm going to continue talking about the model because that is really the core of the book. 
but I am going to bundle the next two steps together because I think there's a real um, message to be taken from here. So uh, steps nine and 10 are really around whose story is it and who's telling the tale. Now, these can be very different. Um, so if we're looking at the Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller, um, yes, the story is about Achilles, but it's Patroclus who's actually telling the story. So um, when you're thinking about whose story this is, um, you're thinking about who has the most at stake and who is the closest to the heart of the matter. And you could argue that that is Achilles in that particular book. Um, you know, what does that person want? Um, you know, what's standing in their way? But then you have to think about who's telling the tale. So um, you might have one narrator, you might have a number of them. You, they might be speaking in first person or third person or second. Um, and it's thinking about what does your story give you if somebody else is telling that story? Um, so again, if you're looking at um, the time traveler's wife, um, Audrey uh, Niffenegger uses that technique. She alternates between two characters. And sometimes those people inhabit, inhabit two totally different time periods. But whenever one of them speaks, they're always moving the story forward. Um, so again, the golden rule for writing a story with multiple narrators is that each narrator must move the story forward. And that's really um, the thrust of, of who is telling the tale. Um, if everything they're telling you moves the story forward, then you are in a good, you've made a good decision. Then we move on into what's the story timeline and graphing the story. So um, this is something that I always struggled with the, the story timeline. And I now use software called Aeon Timeline to actually get my timelines kind of straight and who's in which scene and who's an observer and who's a participant. So but it's very um important to get this the story timeline uh, clear because if you don't and you don't include include that timeline and orient the reader as though you're moving through your story um, they will become uh, very confused um, and I've seen well I have done it myself I've started to disengage from a novel because I don't understand um, when things are happening and there's you know a few techniques to do that and you can talk about the weather um, you know some people put you know, dates um, at the beginning of their chapters. There's a few ways to do that, um, but it is particularly important uh, to do it. Um, I mean, for the reader's sake, as as, as much for your own. Um, and then we move out to kind of, you know, graphing the story. And we've all seen, you know, charts of three-act structure and where there needs to be peaks and troughs. I wouldn't get um, hung up on that. Um, this is really about kind of a visual um, representation for you. So, um, you know, you can draw a graph, uh, you can draw a, a, a tree with branches. Um, you know, you might make a roadmap, uh, but again, just understanding where your story is going, graphing it, getting the timeline down, it will serve you well as you write forward. Then we move on to where does the narrator stand in time and where does the story start and end? And for me, reading this book, um, these are the only two steps that I thought should maybe be reversed. So I'm going to talk about step 13 before I come back and uh, talk about step 12. So step 13 is really around where the story starts and ends. 
and these really work out your your bookends. So you want to know how you want your character to what state they're in at the beginning and what state they're in at the end. And when I was writing my screenplay, my supervisor said to me, how do you want this person to, to be at the end of your story? And I explained that. And then they said, okay, take all of those things away from them at the beginning. So if you are writing a romance, for example, you might start with a person who doesn't believe in love. And at the end, you have somebody who ends up in love. And this seems really basic and I understand that, but, um, if you start thinking about this as your opening and closing scenes, then you really get to show the reader, okay, this is who they were at the beginning and this is who they are now. And bookending your whole story with those scenes is, is particularly powerful. So for me, I would then backpedal to step 12, which is where, where does the narrator stand in time? And this is really thinking through, is the story happening as the events of the story unfold? Or is the story already over as the narrator tells the tale? So another way of asking that question is, you know, what does the narrator know and when do they know it? Um, and obviously you can have an omniscient narrator who knows everything. Um, so for example, uh, J.K. Rowling, um, you know, she has scenes in which um, Harry does not appear. Um, you might have the person who narrates Romeo and Juliet. Um, you know, he's standing on the stage at the beginning saying that this is going to be a great tragedy. So he already knows how that story ends. So really understand where your, where your narrator stands in time. Again, it's quite an important decision for you because it sets up the expectations uh, for the reader. So this is all very well, but you haven't actually plotted anything. And this thing's supposed to be a blueprint. Uh, but step 14 is where you finally get into sketching out the plot. Now you've already written, I don't know, 50 words in what your story's about and your book jacket blurb. Um, but here's where we get to actually look, go back and look at the whole story again and see what's driving it forward. Um, and here the book uses one of the Pixar rules of storytelling. Uh, it's actually number four, uh, which is a simple formula that hides some of those very complex concepts. Um, and this is where we start to break down that, that Pixar rule of, of storytelling. And I'll just quickly get into that. So Pixar's rule is, uh, it's six lines. Um, you can expand lines between three and four. But the first one is, once upon a time there was blank. Number two, every day, blank. One day, blank. Line three, because of that, blank. Line four, because of that, blank. Number five, until finally, blank. And number six, and ever since that day, blank. So we end up with a list of setting it up, once upon a time there was, and then number six, and ever since that day, blank. And all of the things between is all of that cause and effect driving the story forward. And it's all pretty much because, because of this, this happened. Because of just what happened, this happens. Because that just happened, this happens. And that really is a relatively simple step. And I think what you'll find in this book, you'll, you might flick through it and think this is kind of really basic stuff. I promise you. Um, the blueprint is deceptive. It looks very easy. And I would give this work at least 12 hours to actually go through the blueprint of the book, doing the exercises. Um, 
because as I say, all of this stuff, and it seems like very gentle, easy foundation laying um, is actually quite powerful. And finally, finally, we get to the real beating heart of the blueprint for a book. And this actual piece was the bit that I was very uncomfortable when I heard about the book coming out, because I, for me, this is kind of like the secret source. And this is the thing that um, really cuts to the heart of the story with the writers that I work with. And I've seen some writers really struggle with this. Um, so again, it looks like a relatively simple exercise, but the inside outline is basically the outline of the whole book. Um, it's not too much about plotting. Um, again, a bit like the Pixar rules for storytelling number four, it's really around uh, the kind of cause and effect. And, and the book really gets into here. Um, and I think this is probably the most interesting part of the book for me, um, because it talks about the problem of plotting. I'm gonna let you read what the thoughts are on that. And it also talks about the problem with pantsting. Um, so, you know, character uh, writers who are more into just writing forward and not knowing where they're going. Uh, I think the term for some of those writers, they like to call themselves discovery writers. And, um, you know, in my experience, that can be wildly inefficient. Uh, and for me, when I have written like that in the past, um, I have ended up completely rewriting uh, the whole novel. Um, you know, I always throw away pages and, you know, that, that takes up a lot of time. So it's, you know, exciting to get into it. Um, but you're really looking at, uh, in the inside outline, you're looking at what happens in a scene and why it matters. And this is where you can really get into the guts of what your story is about. Um, so I used an example earlier of writing with an author who thought they were writing uh, dystopian fantasy and actually they were writing uh, a maturation story and we're still working through this but what was happening is the world building was getting in the way and masking what the story was really about and this is the beauty of the inside outline you will cut to the heart of what your story is about and you will only be able to do it in two pages so i do that with my writers i'm very strict um if they have a very complex novel i might let them go to three pages but the first time through um it's just two pages um so you know you don't want exhaustive exhaustive scene lists okay you just want the major points of your novel and i think this is a particularly good thing because i think if you do plot everything out you can kind of kill the joy of writing so the inside outline helps you get to the core of the story but still allow, still allows you to have fun um, because writing should be fun you know we keep telling everybody um, you know writing is hard and i disagree with that Yes, writing is hard sometimes, but I think we need to allow ourselves to really play when we're writing and the inside outline gives you the freedom to do that. And you'll really put the inside outline to work. Um, you know, it works as a guide for each scene. It works as a touchstone to keep the story driving forward. Um, it also acts as a container uh, for the changes you make as you write. 
Um, so things will pop up that you didn't expect. And again, you can return to the inside outline to make sure they fit within the overall story flow. Um, you can use it as the basis of your synopsis. So a synopsis is often you know, just one page um, and the inside outline is kind of your foundation of that. So everything you need is on the page. Um, and also to solve problems when you get stuck. So again, it allows you to go back and remind yourself as your intention of your intention and where you are in the progression. Um, so again, you can you can dig back into that. And you can also make a new inside outline um, if you have to solve a problem with an individual um, chapter or a character. Um, you know, take two pages and hammer in those key events in that that chapter and that character's life. Um, I've worked with writers who you know have got multiple threads. And what I do is I get them to make a new inside outline for each of those threads. So um, if they're writing a romantic adventure, you might want an inside outline purely for the romance. And then uh, because the romance is at the fore, um, another inside outline for the um, adventure parts, because they're both things that need attention. Um, so again, you know, occasionally I will let a writer write more than one inside outline. Um, but that really is where you have probably more than one character, so an ensemble piece. Um, but again, always keep those inside outlines to two pages, three at a push. And if it's for multiple characters, I like to get writers to go down to one page. So there we have it. You know, I understand I've really been talking about a model uh, more than necessarily about a book. Um, but what I will say about the book is it's very accessible. It doesn't talk down to you as a writer. Um, it's encouraging. It has examples. And more importantly, it has reasoning about why these things work in the real world. Now we have it. Um, you know, I firmly believe that you know it's important for a writer to write in the most efficient way. And really, that is by tackling the hardest parts before you start to write. Um, you know, it's so tempting to try and pin that novel to the page before it disappears. But the inside outline, well, actually not the inside outline, the whole the whole thing, all of the exercises and the blueprint for a book um, really um, gets you to stop and define those foundational elements of your story before you keep writing. So sometimes before you start, this is important to do, but I have found it quite useful when I'm struggling with a novel, um, with a work in progress, and I've taken it back and fitted it into the blueprint. And here's completely changed my understanding of, of a novel. And it's allowed me to fall back in love with what it is that I'm trying to um, achieve. So personally, um, now I'm over my upset that this book was released in the first place. You know, I think it, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for writers to understand how we author accelerator book coaches work. And, you know, you may still find yourself reaching out to a book coach, um, you know, for getting help with this. Um, so yes, at the uh, time of recording this, which is September the 3rd, uh, the book is already on Amazon. Uh, in the UK, it is £2.88 for Kindle and £9.44 for the paperback. So I think you're getting great value for money. So yes, there we go. This is my review of the blueprint for a book, both the book and the model itself.